Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me as always, we've got Jake Trapila here. Hey, Steve. How art thou doing? Oh, uh, you know, pretty good. I'm uh, I'm living my best podcaster life. So normally, I have to be like an actual, you know, adult with responsibilities and things to do. Uh, but now that my wife has COVID, and I have to like, you know, sequester myself away from her because I I tested negative. Mm. Uh, I'm basically just living and breathing in the podcast zone. I uh, haven't really left the house, just down here in the basement. Just just a, a man, his wood panel, uh, wall basement, and a microphone. And that's all I need. Sounds like the status quo to me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. I think I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to increase my posting about 300%. Uh, and and just, just really just live it, man. Just live the life. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Also joining me, Jack Eason is here. Steve, this sounds like an excellent time to catch up on all those vinegar syndrome pornos I know you own. Oh yeah, I'm definitely just going to sit in the basement and watch old porn for at least another week. What, did she got a quarantine for like 10 days or something? I'm set. <laughs> You'd get through a lot of porn <laughs> in that time, so oh, yeah. good it's, luck. It's big bush week at my house. Just remember to uh, hydrate. <laughs> how's, uh, how's the great city of Chicago, Jack? Uh, it's it's okay it's still here um yeah i don't know is is, is that de bevix back open it, <laughs> sorry what was that at the Be- you don't you don't go to ed de bevix you live in chicago you don't know i don't i don't i don't do that do you know at what all. that is that sounds no vaguely familiar is that the insult <laughs> restaurant that's correct it's oh, it's like it's... a restaurant it's just like an applebee's except the waiter okay. comes up to you and he's just like hey Pussy, you see, what Steve, do you want to eat? Steve, this is this is like, that's amateur hour. I don't want to go to an insult restaurant and have some guy put on a show. What I want to do is real Chicago shit, like what I did last night, which was go to the Berghof, which is like a hundred plus year old German restaurant, eat a shit ton of German food, drink a shit ton of German beer, and then the guy who's busting the tables comes over and tells us we're good, even though they're trying to close up. It's fine. The worst customers are Asians. Just dropped that in there. <laughs> he just unprompted. <laughs> completely. That's a good Chicago move. Oh, it's incredible. He, and then he explained to me that's it's something about uh, social mores in Asia because they all bump into each other. I wish I was making up any of that. Yeah, no, incredible. <laughs> uh, what kind like, of German was this guy? Did he have any weird he was, tattoos? <laughs> he did. I don't think he was German. I'm not sure any of the people there were German, actually, but the food was very good. So, um, yeah, try that out. for. It was oh, really wow. good. Jack, you should have diffused the situation by tell, uh, reminding him that they were allies during the, the, the Great War there. Only some, <laughs> only some of them were allies, to be fair. Very shifty well, not to the, I mean, to this guy's mind, I'm sure that they're, they're all the same, right? So. Yeah. I think he was he was addressing specifically China, I believe. So no, that was they were they were not on the the side of of the the righteous allies of his group. No, incredible. Uh, I, you know, I've missed this. I don't go out in COVID. I've missed people saying just crazy shit unprompted, just in weird social meetups. So yeah, great stuff. Go there. <laughs> wow, I'll never go to Ed Debevix again. Uh, <laughs> Why would you? I, I went there in sixth grade. 
Uh, that I mean, do they have, that's, like, that's they have to clean up the act or water? Like, are, is it like I, swear free, or do they have like a PG thirteen section? How does this work? Yeah, I mean, I I don't remember a lot of it other than like the waiter just like was kind of yelly with us, and that's it. He's like, "You want a cheeseburger or a hot dog?" You're like, "Oh, hot dog, sir. Oh, good, you little bitch." I, I mean, that's <laughs> pretty much the extent of it. Um, but yeah, like we went on a, a Chicago field trip in the sixth grade. We were gone for a, a whole week and, and one of our culinary delights was Ed DeBevick's. Is, is that still open? Like that seems like a thing that will be open for like a two, three years and then everyone will be oh, like, who cares? Sir, it is an institution. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if they survived COVID cause you can't really do like carry out. Like <laughs> you just, <laughs> just get a right, bag right, of like, shitty fucking food and then it's like, Yeah enjoy it steaming up in the styrofoam getting soggy like your dick uh this just in ed debevix is uh, temporarily closed and plans to reopen in october yeah okay mark your calendars uh they hiring the uh ed Ed debevix it's a stupid name their mission statement on their uh, website reads as follows ed debevix since 1984 has been one of chicago's most famous retro themed diners Quirky servers in flashy costumes serve up great burgers, hot dogs, cheese fries, huge salads, milkshakes, and ice cream sundaes with a side order of sass. Don't expect this diner to be a please and thank you kind of place. The servers pride themselves on snarky remarks and even drop their trays to do choreographed dance numbers on the soda counters. Oh, wow. Sounds like the most degrading place in the world. I bet they pay them fucking the minimum wage and no tips. You think anybody yeah. there's got a uh, advanced degree in sarcasm? <laughs> it's just like Second City washouts who are just fucking <laughs> waiting tables at Ed DeBerry's. That sounds like a grand old time. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll do a podcast where we all visit Jack and go to Ed DeBevick's, and then we'll we'll drive south until we get to a Dick's Last Resort, which I believe is the uh, the warm weather climate version of Ed DeBevick's, and we'll compare the two for their uh, you know chain insult restaurant restaurant superiority yeah, we'll see, forget about the food we'll find out which one has the freshest material oh yeah yeah who's got the best routines i want the best bits and only the best bits <laughs> <laughs> oh my god myros how the fuck are you doing man oh i'm doing all right i you know I, i've got my first uh my first university of michigan test so we'll see how that goes yeah i don't think you're gonna do well I, I mean, it is Spanish, so there's a good chance you're correct. Oh, see, see, correct, see. Yeah, I predict your grade will be uh, muy mal, as they say. Oh, lo siento, señor. You know, I'm I'm uh-huh. gonna take another thing. I think Adam, you're gonna you're gonna do great. Look you're at this positive asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to work on my Ed DeBevick's bit. Hey, Maros, you got a test? Bet you're gonna do worse than you think you are. <laughs> Here comes my milkshake dance. You know, I'm, I'm just going callus. for like a... I'm shooting for like a B. We'll take a B. That'd be just fine. <laughs> I was going to just work all up right. my uh, my German restaurant busboy routine and just be incredibly racist towards all Hispanics everywhere. But I think I'll just refrain. <laughs> Always a possibility. All right. Well, speaking of racist, I actually, this is not a transition at all. We're talking Sasquatch today. Why are we talking Sasquatch? I don't know. We talked about this before we started recording. We're like, is this Myros's fault? Is it Jack's fault? It's Myros's is it fault. Colin's fault? We decided to blame Colin ultimately. So shout out Colin. Um, yeah, I, I guess we, we were sort of 
we got on the topic of Eduardo Sanchez, who listeners may know as the, or one of the directors of the Blair Witch Project. And Eduardo Sanchez, he kind of gets, he's got kind of a bad reputation that he doesn't really deserve. Um, I think people drag him pretty hard because they think like Blair Witch 2 is the worst movie ever, which is some horse shit because while I don't think it's great or even good, the audacity to make that fucking film just off the charts. So you got to think like Blair Witch is this huge, huge like cultural phenomenon and kind of uh, reinvigorates and kickstarts the, the mainstream appeal of found footage films. And it's just, if you, if you weren't alive then or you don't remember it, it was literally just the biggest thing. And people actually thought it was fucking real because they're idiots. So that's the kind of like power that this man had. And he makes a sequel that's not found footage. Uh, Steve, before you get too in the weeds here, Eduardo Sanchez, he's not responsible for the Blair Witch 2. You, you'll, you'll recognize that that movie was in fact directed by acclaimed documentarian Joel or Joe Berlinger. But, but okay, okay. But Sanchez, he was involved. He, was, he produced it and he, did he write it at least? Uh, he only has character credits. Okay. Okay. I mean, he, I'm sure he produced it because he probably was just he owned it. Checks. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm really showing my ass because I, uh, you know, I just went to bat for a movie I didn't have to go to bat for. But anyways, well, Blair Witch movie. Two: Book of Shadows, not as bad as you think it is. It's it's a it's a narrative film as a sequel to a found footage film that basically interrogates the first movie as a cultural phenomenon. It's very fucking weird. And it only came out like a year after the Blair Witch came out. So that happens. And then our boy kind of, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he spirals out here, but he makes a bunch of uh, direct-to-video horror films uh, in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, eventually he makes a movie in 2011 called Lovely Molly, which is fucking good. He's got a segment on VHS2 that's pretty good. Uh, and, and then we get to 2014, which we need to we need to keep that in the back of our minds as we discuss this film. But sorry, go ahead with this. The, what we're discussing. Absolutely. So then we get to 2014 and he decides to give us another found footage film. And we get exists, which is a Sasquatch movie. And that is our unifying theme today. Squatchy found footage uh, exists. Uh, yeah, it sure does. <laughs> That's about right. It is very strange to consider it in his his sort of filmography because I I don't know what's up with this movie. I don't know if he wanted to make it or if he was coming off a bit of a string of underperformers, which again, not not fair to him because altered his 2006 film, which was the first movie he directed after Blair Witch. Uh, is also quite excellent, and it received no. That's the thing is is why didn't Eduardo Sanchez ever get like a big theatrical release after the Blair Witch mm -hmm. Project? Like these movies are not bad films at all, and then they just never they did not exist <laughs> to the popular culture. That's for sure, and and neither did this. But you wonder coming off of that VHS two segment, which is. Yeah, very much him fiddling with a GoPro, kind of exploring whether there are filmic 
potential or whether there is filmic potential in, in that sort of format. And it works in that short segment. I don't think it really works here, but you, you do wonder if he really wanted to make this movie or if it was more of a, well, things are not going the way that I thought they would. And, uh, my traditional films are not finding an audience and, uh, someone gets in his ear and says, try and make Blair Witch again. And, you know, he, it, it just feels like he does not want to make this a found footage film. He's just kind of interested in fucking around with quite a few different formats and seeing what sticks. So it's interesting that you bring that up too, because I, I, I looked into this a little bit. Um, yeah, occasionally I do research. Um, I found an interview with Eduardo Sanchez specifically talking about the movie. And I guess this is a project that he had been mulling over for a long time. Like he, he's just, he's just a fan of Bigfoot and Sasquatch stories in general. Um, initially he planned this as a regular, regular, just, you know, standard issue film, not found footage. Uh, but then he decided at some point during the pre-production phase to just kind of transition into making it a found footage film. So he took something he had and he sort of retrofit the found footage to it. it now, at the same time, I feel like there's some, there's some serious issues that come out of this. Even if it was his choice ultimately to do this, nobody was strong ar arming him or he didn't feel compelled to do it because of external pressure there's a real like oil and water situation going on with this movie that, that really makes it a, kind of a head scratcher in the genre. Oh, I'd agree in more ways than one, because I, I think a lot of the casting feels that way too. Like the makeup of this group of people feels like it's, it's towing the line between something that he was interested in, which if you look at something like altered, it's certainly not a traditional, like, quartet of pretty people out in the woods so it, it, again it, it's another instance where it feels like it, it was his idea maybe but then all of a sudden we're shoehorning in this like exact same fucking core group of people that are in every goddamn <laughs> like hollywood road trip movie a horror movie from that era and uh yeah except for the main protagonist who's this a weird weird choice <laughs> it's it's an immediately like striking because i'm this is it starts as found it's it starts off on such a weird note you're talking about like strange notes it starts as a found footage movie but with regular opening credits so we're, we're supposed to have like that quote-unquote found footage mm -hmm. and in between it's cut into like tell us who the casting director is like it's it's completely there's no attempt to to curry any kind of of stock in the found footage element but what did strike me is i mean normally found footage movies in my experience they tend to have pretty small casts in part because most of them are made for almost no money and one of the benefits of them if found footage movie is they tend to cost very little money and it just it's more believable to have small groups of people out doing things there's like eight people or something in this car i don't know there's it there most of them are not particularly distinct so my first immediate response is like oh some people are gonna die in this movie like it's that immediately reaction of like oh this this one's gonna have a body count as compared to the other movie we're gonna discuss this episode which is pretty much two people so you, you, it feels much more like it's it's in the the regular mode but yeah it's it's um the, the, the primary issue here absolutely for me is just that there's 
the Sasquatch or not, I don't think uh, it's worrying for any kind of a subgenre of, of of movie that the most successful movie in the genre is Harry and the Hendersons, which is literally about the Sasquatch <laughs> becoming domesticated or, you know, having a dalliance with it. No one cares about Sasquatches. It was, I know there's the guys out there like hanging out in the woods being like, oh, we get How dare you, no sir? One, no one cares. <laughs> no one gives a shit. From a movie perspective, Sasquatches are like the Z-grade cryptid. No one gives a crap about them. So it's not a great start there. And then on top of that, the found footage element is nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. It's like they're going out to stay in a cabin in the woods and pull gnarly tricks with their GoPros. But most of the film is like, you know, ed- like edited with an inch of its life, the action sequences of insert shots. This It breaks all the rules of found footage. But at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. still also just a bunch of jerky bullshit camera work. So it's like the worst of both worlds, effectively. So, yeah, not not a wonderful yeah. start for me. That's yeah. my biggest problem with it is that there is too much coverage and editing going on. To, opening credits aside, like this, this has just cameras in inexplicable places <laughs> just to allow, I guess, for coverage, but also maybe just to cover these actors because we're dealing with it's five people. Two brothers and their three friends go to Are their there uncle really Bob's cabin. Really, only five of them? I swear to God, I feel like there were three hundred of them in the opening shot. They're all crammed <laughs> in there. That's well, it, it, they keep editing around so many of them. But yeah, there's <laughs> so like the opening is just them in a car, and there's there's a camera on the dashboard aiming at the five people in the car, the passengers, and I don't know oh, why. Oh, Dami. Yeah, they have that running, and then there's also they're playing with the camera in the back seat so they can cut between them shifting front seat back seat fucking with the guy's beard the lighter then they're reviewing their footage on another camera then they see oh we may have passed by a bigfoot or something and yeah there's the guy gets to the cabin and he says oh yeah i set gopros all around the cabin so we were treated to a bunch of exterior shots but yeah it's just it's it's so weird that like the the that sanchez just really clung to the idea of making this a found footage movie and like his VHS segment, it's a it's a POV zombie film where a guy is wearing a GoPro on his bike helmet, as they are wont to do, because you know if there's an accident, they want to see who's involved. He gets infected, and then he begins riding his or running through the woods with the helmet on. So we literally get to see the zombie from the uh, like the point of view of the actual zombie, which is fine. And then this, the POV comes back with like uh, helmet cams as the guy's running or riding his bike through the woods to find help or or whoever you know he's trying to get service on his cell phone but yeah there's just it's so it's so weird that he just felt beholden to the format and yet he can he consistently betrays it with just so much coverage and editing that compared to the other film which staunchly adheres to the found footage aesthetic this movie just it completely fumbles it mightily and it does not work at all yeah i i almost struggle whether to classify it as found footage because it is not framed that way there is no like ooh, this footage was found in the cat skills or some horse shit it's just yeah it's framed like a regular ass movie it just feels like a very experimental uh portrayal of, of this incident because he's just he's dicking around with gopros and and what a streamer would be using essentially uh, sort of this guy's making an internet video essentially although mm-hmm. it, there's no explanation in world for any edit and there is exorbitant editing here it, it almost feels to me like i have a hard time 
calling this a found footage film, which is... But, but there's no... It's fine and well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I guess the thing for me is just that, like, there's no there's no benefits to what's shows in here. Like, and, and that is part of what's inexplicable to me. It's like, I don't understand what Sanchez is doing other than if this, is this a camera test? Just like run a mock. Um, like there's yeah. really, there, there's no benefit, uh, technically or thematically or narratively or in any other way, you know, thematically, there's no benefit to presenting the film like this. There, there, it, it is. It completely seems like just a completely isolated decision he made, and then a film mm -hmm. occurs in separately of that, and it's so peculiar to see that because found footage is really like you kind of you live and die by its 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 constraints. It kind of like that's it's a wonderful. It can conjure up this like incredibly kind of claustrophobic sort of stripped back kind of uh, uh, emotional core in a film or it can just look like garbage and this this kind of looks like garbage but doesn't even work to cultivate any of the other elements to it you know there's there's no mystique there's no miss you know kind of like a sense of a larger lore or anything mm -hmm. the the sasquatch pretty much uh, just shows up at some point he's just on camera <laughs> and weirdly enough apparently he's acted by the same guy who played harry and harry and the hendersons which again just seems like a decision that benefits no one like it's not like this guy, like <laughs> he's got know, squash experience he's how many people have squash experience it's his resume i mean i guess he's like six foot seven that's his experience but it just again it feels like one of those things that just ties back in but in an utterly meaningless way like the cameras like who cares but you know there's no mystery you know a, a lot of like found footage is like tension and the limits of what you can see and so on None of that. No, it's just like the the Sasquatch just wanders in at some point, and just starts smashing shit up and breaking people's necks. Yeah, it it's interesting because you know, it, it's hard to call exists boring because I mean, really, like the Sasquatch shit starts almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, so at least it's got that going for it because found footage films uh, usually tend to be a little bit more on the slow burn side, and if they don't have enough going on. That could be a problem. Uh, we're going to talk about one of those in a little bit. <laughs> now, the the biggest problem I have with this is you guys have kind of touched on it too, but the fact that it like there's no reason for this to be a found footage movie. And when you do a found footage movie, you as as like an audience member, you are hyper aware of the camera, which is what separates found footage from any other kind of filmmaking, basically. But you are completely aware of it. And how it is interacting with the world that it's in and giving you the images that you're seeing. And everything in exists doesn't like support that in any way, shape or form. So why, why are we strapping GoPros to everything once uh, a Sasquatch starts killing our friends? I don't fucking know. And then the other thing that this movie does is while it's got quite a bit of Sasquatch action, uh, it does a real piss poor job of actually showing any like kills or brutality or giving any reason for us to maybe get a little more invested in these characters. I, I think the most telling and, and, and the best example of this is the very first kill in the movie. They've sort of barricaded themselves inside of this cabin and the Sasquatch breaks through a window and grabs one of the girls 
And then everybody freaks out. And then she's kind of thrown across the room and just kind of slumps over on the floor. And it took like a good five to 10 minutes after that for me to realize she was actually dead. Because at some point, one of the other characters was like, we'll come back for a body later. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and basically every death is is like that. You know, they've got this pretty good looking Sasquatch suit. Yeah. Uh, they've got the uh, the the Meryl Streep of of squatches inside of it. You know, uh, the best Sasquatch you can get, and yet they're not really using it in a way that's compelling or in a way that doesn't seem counterintuitive to the entire conceit of the movie. So, uh, yeah, that fucking sucks. Yeah, it's 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 weird to dissect why this fails so uh spectacularly and i think it does like i don't find this remotely pleasant to watch um which is strange because again he is a director I, I quite respect i think he has some serious horror chops and i think he understands the medium uh quite well but i also just don't get a lot of things that happen in this movie like i feel like the intent was to kind of pull the trick they did in Paranormal Activity 3 to get you to stop asking why there's cameras and why there's editing because they, they make the protagonist a guy who is kind of secretly, he has ulterior motives for being on this trip. He wants to make a big SAS video. He's a video producer. Okay. But the way it plays out, that doesn't really make sense still because, he, you know, the, the guy spoilers he doesn't survive i mean it's a found footage movie no one ever fucking survives but he's not like editing as we go it, it doesn't really solve the problem as to why all these cameras are everywhere and how it got edited in an x y and z and, and similarly it, it sets up this it does try and set up some lore some mystery some why is this happening to these people and it, it's only revealed in the very last few moments that they had actually killed a child Sasquatch with their car early in the, in the film. Um, but you almost forget about that incident. Frankly, it's, it's, it's only revealed early. at the end, but it's also kind of obvious state. Like they have a hit and run scenario. It's like, Oh, we hit something and they find some hair. And so you like, okay, they hit a Sasquatch. Either the one is chasing them or one that, you know, a family member. So yeah, it's not a, a tremendously compelling framing device for the no. entire film. <laughs> No, and and the problem with this movie is that there's virtually no setup for for something like that to, to for that reveal to have any impact. We need to live in this movie a little bit more. But it it is it it, it again feels like maybe it's it's overreacting to a complaint with found footage that you know you're never gonna you don't see anything. They don't even have the budget for a monster. They're just fucking shooting trees, and you you never see anything. And it feels like Sanchez said, well, we'll show them some stuff. But that's, uh... That's what it, normal horror... It, that's what traditional <laughs> horror cinema is for, though. Like a normal camera setup. And I mean, I think you're right. The complaint is there. But the... the to address it is not to make a found footage movie that does all that. Because that just looks goofy as hell. As we all just right. learned. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just... It's overwhelming, too. The, the pacing of this movie is exhausting. Like... The Sasquatch attacks them within 15 minutes of the open, and I was on board for maybe maybe 25 minutes to a half an hour. I was like, all right, I, I actually like what is presented as the first kill. It's actually not 
which is the GoPro, you know, Sasquatch is chasing the guy with a GoPro on his bike and blah, blah, blah. I thought it was fairly effective, but by the time he was attacking the cabin and the cameras just jerking all over town, I was just done with it. I was like, all right, that that's enough. Like, and that's not even close to the climax of the film. There's still another fucking 40 minutes left of it. And it's just on and on relentless, like overwhelming. Yeah, there's amount there's of no like, variation. Cat. It's just no. balls to the walls, like squatch howling camera, getting tossed around people screaming. Like it, it just, there's no time to breathe or just really do anything other than show us relentless action and the relentless action isn't good enough to carry it, so it, it doesn't fucking and work. And there's also no tie-in. I mean, I you know, okay, so I, I mentioned earlier, like, Sasquatches have kind of been relegated to, like, the lower echelons of genre cinema. They're really, they, they haven't made much of a mark. Um, If we think, like, why is the allure of a Sasquatch, you know, what is the allure of the Sasquatch and the Sasquatch mythos and possi the possibilities of it, of an undiscovered, completely private race of some kind of like in semi-intelligent creature living in the woods and just kind of making its own way. I mean, you could draw all kinds of parallels in that in terms of man versus nature and, you know, so on and so forth. None of it's brought up, like brought up here. Like, yeah, there are a bunch of snot-nosed, boisterous, annoying kids who, you know, want to hook up and, well, two of them want to hook up. That's it. That's like, there's one or a couple ostensibly, but kind of in secret. And then the rest of them are just riding mountain bikes into a river, and that's like the best time in the world. Uh, you know, none of but like it's not a commentary on a generation or on humanity. And then the Sasquatch taking vengeance for its fallen child is not uh, reflective of any other mechanism in society. It's a completely, you know, it's it's a Sasquatch completely removed from any kind of lore or environment beyond the generic woods. So it, there's nothing. There's no reason, like, you could replace a Sasquatch with any number of other creatures. It'd be the same movie. So, again, it's just, like, it just feels like this thing was written up in the back of a napkin and somehow went into production before anyone had considered any of the reasons, you know, any of the things they had, they had decided were the foundation of the movie. Uh, you know, it just feels like you could lift up, the like, if this movie was, like, a tower, you could just kind of, like, lift it up a little bit and swap out all the bottom foundational bricks with completely different bricks and it would be the same thing at the end uh which is yeah. not not great considering well as we've discussed like ultimately functionally it also doesn't work really well i mean it's not really a convincing action movie it's certainly not a, a thrilling horror spectacle it's very you know bare nerve you know kind of excitement like in your face but that really you get inured to that very quickly from everything else so yeah just uh, like nothing works here and i don't understand the starting point it's, keep going right yeah to, it's just a baffling film it's weird there are some pretty good like uses of the format in that as far as like exploring jump scares and stuff like that most of them are early and they are only played for excitement because there's no time to build tension to this movie it's just like immediate uh, and yeah, that, that is, it, it's a shame, but I, I'm with you on this, that I, I do wonder about the viability of Sasquatch horror generally, because that's really not what people think of with a lot of cryptids. I think 
Like, if Sasquatch was just out there fucking slaughtering people, then, well... Right, that's that's another thing. Isn't Sasquatch, like, they're generally considered to be peaceable creatures among aficionados that just want to be left alone. Yeah, till you wing one of their fucking kids (laughs) with your Ford Bronco. Well, I think they could have leaned in. The problem is these characters just don't have any attributes. They're not Mm. loathsome. They're not... I mean, the, the main protagonist, I hate him, but he's... They never do anything horrible like you you could make this like a lost weekend or a long weekend type thing i guess like that would play into you know sasquatch is sort of this peaceful ambassador of nature if these guys were just fucking trashing everything but it doesn't lean into any of that there's nothing there to these characters they're just no. four or five people in the woods uh the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think just to mention something earlier i think the the stoner lead guy he actually survives at the end of the movie like yeah, he's they're on the bridge and he yeah i know i was he does I, after he, his uncle shows up in the most random emergence in horror cinema memory. they like yeah they briefly have cell phone connection they call their uncle bob they say hey we're at your cabin that we snuck into uncle bob's killed by bigfoot and then the guy just begs at bigfoot's feet and then bigfoot just walks away and then that's it the film literally ends on a whimper Oh yeah, I forgot that the, the the Bigfoot spares him. So yeah. I guess that explains why he edited this. <laughs> That's right. He's like, well, guess I'll get all these GoPros and put together yeah. this movie. <laughs> Who wants to see how all my friends and my uncle died? He just spent like <laughs> fucking like ten years collecting SD cards throughout the world. <laughs> <laughs> Has to go to the caravan at the bottom of the ravine. That'd be a whole other movie. The the making of exist. That's, uh, just that's... just crawling crawling through the woods with like a, a bleeding wound on his stomach looking for those sd cards from his gopros and and again the, the like that conclusion where the the sasquatch essentially realized this guy is you know has suffered enough and there's kind of that stable where the sasquatch could easily kill him and he's got a gun he could easily try and kill the sasquatch and there's kind of this like realization that the violence has only begotten more violence and it's only increased everyone's suffering it doesn't really play in any convincing way because like adam says the characters human characters are barely anything and the sasquatch is also not like he's not set up as an ambassador of anything he's just a monster in the woods he's just a not human in the woods who you know okay he he can choose forgiveness that's right at the very end of the movie and that's it it's over you know it's it's like again you could just make this movie about a pissed off elephant elephants born their children too you could do that you could just have the ub would it not be exactly the same fucking movie with a with a mad elephant in it a dark reboot quill to operation dumbo drop <laughs> hey elephants exist there you that's true i don't know you know uh, yeah i've i've never touched one so <laughs> jerry's still out the zoos are all full of holograms i'd mm-hmm. say there's maybe one effective shot in this movie it's one of the exterior gopro cams it's at night and you can just see this tall figure walking from out of the woods towards the cabin and i thought okay oh that's kind of creepy but uh yeah everything else is just kind of uh cut with a blender see i i like a few more things in it than that like i do like that gopro sequence on the bike with the sasquatch chasing is it scary no but i think it it works and i do uh, also like the the use of like the flash to to reveal the Sasquatch in the window, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I I think there's 
stuff here. It's just, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, the structure is a fucking mess, and the editing is really obtrusive. I think it's extremely funny when the black guy lights off the fireworks, and then the Sasquatch chases him through the woods. It just looks really funny. (laughs) So that's my favorite part. And when the uncle shows up, is on screen for 10 seconds, and then immediately just eats shit, because Sasquatch, like, plows into him. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, well... Uh, we we're kind of exploring the other side of the of the found footage Sasquatch coin because while exists is relentless action and a lot of Sasquatch screen time, uh, our other film that we chose for this pod is uh, that's the exact opposite in a lot of ways. So let's talk a little bit about Bobcat Goldthwait. You might remember him from Police Academy One or Police Academy Two or Police Academy 3, or Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, which, Jack, that is your favorite one, right? Oh, I, I think that's the best one. I just, Who disagrees with that? Oh, that's the filet right there. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> give me those Citizens on Patrol, <laughs> baby. Uh, also, you know, Bobcat, he's, I, I think he, re- he directed some Chappelle show. Uh, he's always oh, been in Burglar, if you... You know, listen to our 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 Whoopathon, our Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> movie retrospective. You got a little bit of Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, at some point, he got into directing, and he made a little movie called Shakes the Clown, which kind of sucks shit. Uh, but I, I think he's the kind of guy where you watch that and you're like, this is terrible, but I want to see him figure his shit out. Uh, eventually, he was able to temper his nihilism just a little bit, uh, to make a movie called World's Data- Greatest Dad. And if you haven't seen World's Greatest Dad, it's fucking amazing. And I think my favorite thing about it is if you just look at it, it's got the most like mid-2000s Robin Williams family film looking movie poster ever. So I just like to think about all of the, the suburbanites at Blockbuster Video who rented World's Greatest Dad thinking it was a family comedy <laughs> uh, and then had their entire evening ruined. Uh, so yeah, and Optimism Vaccine, we did an episode on World's Greatest Dad, and you can listen did to that. We? I think it, yeah, yeah, I think we did, a, a, I think it's on Patreon, so there you go. Oh, How about I, that? I don't think I did that, unfortunately, because, yeah, that that is a astounding movie. One of the, It's on my shortlist for best comedies of the 21st century, I would say. Oh, yeah. Very good. I remember good. Steve wrote about it. Maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe I just wrote about it. I thought wrote, we did like, an episode an, on it expectations about it because like you said the the poster looks like it's just the sequel to rv that lame family comedy he did and imagine i can just imagine yeah like you said a family going to their blockbuster when they existed saying hey this looks great we loved rv let's watch this and mm-hmm. then it opens with a kid jerking off and hanging himself yeah, yeah. it's yeah. funny too because because world's greatest dad i think it now is like the perfect time for people to watch it because uh it's basically the same like general plot as that dear Evan Hansen movie starring <laughs> that old right. man playing a child. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's about this dad who is his kid, like literally fucking kills himself. And then the dad, even though he has a horrible relationship with his son and his son's a piece of shit, he like exploits his son's death uh, to highlight his, his own fucking shit. So uh, it's, it's wonderful because there's an entire sequence too, where he talks about how his son's, favorite artist is bruce hornsby 
uh, which, uh, come on, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, his follow-up is, is quite good, too. Not quite as strong, but uh, yeah, it's also a good film. What's it called? God Bless America? Oh, God Bless America, yeah. yeah. Which, I, I think that one suffers from being a little too on the nose, yeah. and once again, kind of dipping its yeah. way back into, you know, m- maybe this is a little too nihilistic. Uh, but yeah, it's it's still solid. We we may have to dig up his fucking dog fucking movie at some point. I've never seen that. He he made a movie about fucking dogs. Yeah, a woman who fucks a dog or sucks its dick or something. <laughs> this is this is between Shakes the Clown and uh, World's Greatest Dance. This, this is a oh. feature length film with that premise. Uh, that is correct. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. I'm guessing it's uh, Sleeping Dogs Lie. Would that be? Uh, that is correct. That, yes. That is yeah. it. Yes. Uh, he well, he also made uh, "Call Me Lucky," the documentary, which is very good. So, yeah. you know, oh, that I, is I don't good. think does anybody suck a dog's dick in that? Uh, I've not that, seen no. it. I can't verify. Okay, it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, so I figure there might be something there. Anyways, Bobcat makes good shit, and even when he fucks up, he makes the kind of good shit where you're like, "Okay, I'm I'm still into you. I still like you. I like what you're doing. It's just not working for me." So at some point, he thought it would be a good idea to make a found footage movie, which seems kind of odd because uh, this is really the only horror movie he's ever made. And on top of that, uh, he's never really dabbled with found footage. This is way outside of his wheelhouse, not something he normally does. And I guess it was kind of an idea that he had uh, because he wanted to make a Bigfoot movie, but he didn't have any money. So he thought about doing found footage, but then he felt like it had been overdone. And one of his friends convinced him to do it and was just like, no, you'll be great at this because uh, he had only ever seen two found footage movies before. He'd seen like Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch and nothing else. So he's like, oh, he'd seen Blair Witch. You <laughs> yeah, he's seen Blair Witch. So he thought that he could do it because while it's been overdone, he's like, well, I haven't seen many of these movies, so I don't, I don't even know how to do it. So maybe he, you know, he thought he could have his own special twisteroo on it. Um, what we get is, I mean, I think it's a compelling approach to the genre, but at the same time, maybe doesn't quite stick the landing. <laughs> it's, it's very much, um, yeah, that's interesting to, to hear that he, he hadn't seen a lot of found footage films, and that makes a lot of sense because this is a very pure found footage film this is very much sticks within the lines kind of imagines what would happen if you found footage and were reconstructing it to kind of tell a story back to kind of explain an incident um yeah it, it's a, this is really i think this is a much more interesting film personally than than exists because exists is largely mm-hmm. incomprehensible to me i don't understand anything of why why it was done or what happens this everything makes a lot of sense and and goldthwaite is clearly kind of intrigued with the formal limitations of it and kind of lean and leans heavily into them and this really is as you mentioned steve this is like the complete opposite this is an incredibly slow pace the first hour or so of this movie and the movie's only 80 minutes long the first hour is basically a travelogue it's just uh, a guy yeah. and his girlfriend just hanging out and visiting spots. They're, they're kind of, he's making a Bigfoot documentary. He's just showing up places, recording little segments for his Bigfoot documentary, meeting a couple of Sasquatch fans and stuff, eating in a restaurant with Sasquatch themed foods. It, it, there's, you know, it's really, it's just two people hanging out and chatting and creating, you know, kind of like their own little Sasquatch travelogue. 
And that's the movie up until pretty much almost the final scene where they're out in the woods alone and then they start hearing things and things get worse from there. Um, so it, it's kind of an interesting case in point, though, of how even when you have everything in place, found footage is just a really fickle format. It really, there's some kind of magical alchemy required to kind of transcend it. And the Blair Witch Project and paranormal activity i think are two examples of films that really nail it who make it the medium of the found footage itself really compelling and and kind of unifies all of it and it it all just very easily makes logical sense what you're watching this again doesn't have it and again part of it is because i think the sasquatch is not compelling in particularly compelling in this this mode uh it you know the fact that it's it's a sasquatch movie ultimately although there is a little twist in the tale as well we can discuss down the line um but yeah it, it just it there's just a certain kind of this film feels intelligent but not entertaining it feels very much like a thought project for goldthwaite to me so it's very dry yeah you know, even when it's like fun and light it's very dry and academic to me because it feels very much like well this is what it would be because they're a carefree couple just traveling and then this yeah. happens and and it's just sort of like yeah, there's no, there isn't the spark in this film at yeah, all. It yeah. never sparks. Uh, that's just it. And and I, there's so many little individual things that I I like about this movie, and and they come from a purely like academic standpoint, like you said, or you know, it's it's just something where you look at it on paper and you're like, oh, cool. So uh, there's in the beginning when when this movie is basically like a travel log for the first 50 minutes to an hour uh there's all these like weird quirky sequences that kind of fit in with uh you know bobcat's comic sensibilities where you know they they go to the big foot museum and they interview the curator and the the guy doing the interviewing is just like so do you believe in bigfoot she's just like no uh, have you ever seen a Bigfoot? No. <laughs> it's just totally dry, deadpan. And uh, then there's another sequence too later where they meet this guy and he he like plays them a Bigfoot song on his guitar that he wrote and the song's fucking terrible and he fucks it up and has to like pick back up and start it over again. And these are like actual people that live out like in the town where uh, the, the Patterson Gimlin film was was shot. Uh, they actually drove out to where the Patterson Gimlin film was shot. And these are all real locations that you can really go to. And those people are just people there. And they stopped to get some footage. And these people were around and they're like, yeah, we're just making a movie. And the characters in the movie were pretending to make a documentary. Hence why they're filming in, in the film itself. So all of these like little side characters they're all just people who thought they were being filmed for a documentary. And it, and it just, I don't know. It, ge it gives it a little bit of flavor and a, a little bit. Again, I don't know, it, it's a it very better clever, with the it's footage. a very clever thing to do. And yeah. so much of this film is clever things that like Goldthwait is a clever guy. He was for all of his chaotic abrasive comedy. He's clearly had a theory and a mindset behind it. His movies, He's, he's a clever guy. He thinks about what he's doing. And, th and this film is just, you kind of just see the thinking too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, you know, the, the other sequence that really shines for me in this is, I mean, it, it's kind of the reason to watch the film. If you're going to watch this, which you, you don't really have to, this isn't not, this is not essential, but uh, there's a full single shot, 20 minute sequence inside of a tent because everything in this movie, because he's so committed to the found footage format, the movie's completely linear and all the editing is done in camera. So, you know, these, this couple is they're in their tent and they start hearing noises and they turn the camera on and then it just plays out. And this is, this is kind of the big tense moment. This is the showpiece and it really works. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is like the journey to get there. I don't know if it quite justifies it. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's an interesting sequence because, um, yeah, you were surprised by how it continues. It just keeps playing out and mm -hmm. it's very slowly emulated. And, and it is, it, it really ties into a really great primal fear of kind of a realization, you know, you, your, your genuine realization of your own isolation coupled with there being something outside you had not planned on being out there. Now, admittedly, part of me was screaming at these people. It's like, did you guys go out into the middle of nowhere without a rifle? Like... And, but then, then, like, as it continued, I was kind of like, but what good would a rifle be? And I was almost like, you know, they're kind of thinking it through. It's kind of like interesting mm -hmm. enough because, I mean, they're going to. Also, this is what people in the Pacific Northwest do. Sure. They just they go, they isolate themselves in the woods like idiots. And then things like this can happen. <laughs> yeah, they joke. About, Camping is horrifying. They joke about bears and then they're surprised when they hear large objects moving around outside. It's very strange. But yeah, the sequence works really well. It's a really great sequence. And I think it's really one of those gems of like that were of the synthesis of found footage, what it can do. And it's it's really quite scary and quite upsetting and kind of like, you know, kind of it, it really plays into because it, it never cuts away. It never wavers. But yeah, you're right. It, it's it's like it takes an hour to get this one sequence. And within the theory yeah. of found footage, this makes sense because a found footage film must have tons of dead time. It has to have. It doesn't make sense otherwise, you know, because who are you know, you're creating the story, which means you have to create you know, the before the event to contextualize it, and then you have the event, and then sometimes you have an after the event, but as we already mentioned, found footage movies tend to all end exactly the same fucking way. No one's really cracked that one yet. Um, and having watched all the Paranormal Activity movies, that, that, that franchise, part six, ends with probably the wettest fart I've ever seen in cinema, frankly. But yeah, it, it's kind of like, again, it just, it all comes out to just feeling like, this is a much better idea than it is something you would actually sit through as a film. Mm -hmm. It was a it was a great idea the first time they released it uh, as the Blair Witch Project. I feel like that's <laughs> I guess yeah the thing like like Jack's absolutely right. It's this this plays out exactly how found footage would because I you know as much as good as the Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity are. Those are still structured in a way where there's a nighttime sequence, like every night, like every other scene, basically, they have to go to night and then something spooky happens just to keep the viewer's attention. Uh, now, the 20 minute shot in Willow Creek, I was I was pretty wrapped during that whole sequence. It is a phenomenal sequence. The problem just is that it takes nearly an hour to get there. And that might be the breaking point for some people, um, but the, it does end strongly, I would say. And the that the final like image that is revealed to us, I was like, I was really unsettled by it, just because it comes out of nowhere, 
and I thought that was really effective as well. I don't know how you guys felt about that or I I am unsure of is is that the missing girl? That was my assumption. Okay, that's who it's supposed to be. And the question then becomes: Was there ever a Sasquatch? But I think there Mm -hmm. is, and ties in with the girl being missing. Although it does confuse me, they complain all the time about how cold they are, and this girl apparently has been nude in the forest for months. So I don't know how that works. But anyhow, it's it's an interesting. As I say, twist in the tale, the, the idea that there, there's some unexpected figure at the end of it, even though, honestly, I feel like the the overweight, nude female form has been used in horror cinema for all the wrong reasons for far too long, and this is another one of them. But anyhow, yeah. uh, Bob Goldthwait can't fix everything, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I see, I'm... This is interesting, because I, I had almost the exact opposite reaction. Where For, for me where this felt most like a formal exercise was exactly during that unbroken shot. And I, I enjoyed the build. I was like, okay, for once, I mean, it's not like these are the earth's best written characters, but they feel natural. They don't feel like fucking stock characters. They feel like humans. (laughs) And, uh, I, I liked the whole build. I thought it was pretty excellent. And, And it does mirror Blair Witch, but this is kind of, flipped Blair Witch is 20 minutes in in the town and uh, an hour in the woods and this is more yeah. uh an hour in the town and 20 minutes in the woods but um I liked the time in the town substantially it's just I didn't think this ever really I you, you tell me this is Bobcat's first horror film I say well you sure I I I would I could see that because I I didn't feel like the tension really worked for me it never hit I I was just like kind of Whittling my thumbs. I think the tension is there, but like I would agree with you to the point that having sat through an hour of something else, it makes you very much aware that there was a thought process behind it. Uh, It kind Mm. of it kind of unearths itself or uncovers its own mechanics a little bit too much. And so I say, just just never, there's never just that thing. Like Blair Witch had the lore; it had like this kind of uncertain element to it. Whereas the Sasquatch is kind of like we know what Sasquatches are fundamentally. There's no even as much as we don't see them or know what they do, there's not an enormous amount of mystery to the Sasquatch. Maybe that's just me as someone who's not very interested in them, but it's like, it's it's a, a large ape-like creature that, like, performs rudimentary human tasks and stays very private. That's it, you know? Like, that's not an yeah. amazing thing. And there's nothing built on that there, except for what might he be doing with this woman. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, or is it hillbillies, I guess, but either or, way, who cares, you know? It, it's just kind of... It is Black. true, there is an ambiguity. You don't see a Sasquatch in this movie. So there is right. a, an element of maybe it's just, yeah, the guys, he met, he meets a guy who tells him to, like, not go there, who's, like, weirdly antagonistic. Maybe it's that guy. He just doesn't like people going to the tourist spot or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. It is ambiguous, but it, it's a little cold to me as a horror sure. film. And I, it is something I appreciate intellectually because it is always an idea i had myself and that wouldn't it be interesting to make kind of an affecting genre film out of the genre you know you you make something that is a a drama and you're not expecting the horror element when it comes but i think that (laughs) it's a very very difficult trick to pull off because you have to sell the movie and it's think, not going to uh, yeah. be sold as something you, you, you are going to be, it's going to be sold on an expectation that kind of ruins 
the surprise of the that, That's exactly it. I mean, we watched this movie. It's on Tubi, right? It's it's streaming for free with ad breaks on Tubi. But Shout out Tubi. Tubi, the best mm-hmm. streaming service, no doubt. Uh, also, as exists, if you want to subject yourself to that. But yeah, it's the poster and the synopsis. It's a horror movie. And yeah, the only way this could really work is if you want, went into it not knowing it was a horror movie not and not expecting that. And then you would build maybe, you know, with the characters for that first hour. And then yeah. that sequence yeah. of 10. You're like, genuinely... Bobcat made a, a Dog May 95 movie. You guys want to watch it? And you're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it's it's why Blair Witch worked. I mean, would Blair Witch be an effective film if it released tomorrow? Probably not. But we were, I mean, it was marketed as such that no one had ever seen it. And, you know, it gets on the schoolyard where everyone's going, oh, it's a real this is the real shit right here, man. Well, I, I think it worked because, the woods. yeah, the, the market like, wasn't the saturated. The, the mark yeah. wasn't saturated. And the Blair Witch, I, like I say, I think the, the lore in Blair Witch is really important element to it. Just the, there's a certain unsteadiness to add to events as they progress. There's, there's, you know, there's a clear sense that these characters are in extreme danger, but we don't understand what the danger is or what form it will take. So, you know, I think the Blair Witch is, you know, it's, it works very well within the format. I don't think that transfers so well to a Sasquatch movie. Paranormal Activity has that as well. You know, there's kind of re- like Paranormal Activity is above all else is really kind of like a, a fear of domesticity film. It's like it's just two people living together and in the end one kills the other one. And yeah, we know there's ghosts literally in the film and that. But I mean, with a few alterations, it's really just kind of like playing on all of like suburbanite fears about, you know, how you buy your security system and you have your door and you have, you know, this and that, but at the end of the day and you, you know, you're trying to keep an eye on everything and nothing works out, you know, stuff goes wrong. It's, it's a really kind of like it, it keys into some really fundamental things. This just doesn't, it just doesn't work with Sasquatches. And I think it really comes back to, I'm trying to think like, what would be a good Sasquatch movie? And I'm not sure a horror movie is it. I just, cause Sasquatches aren't scary. And yeah. The Harry and the, the Hendersons. That's, that's a classic. <laughs> Heartwarming. Um, yeah, I I think Paranormal Activity is almost a different category because it is one of these, like, it's like you're watching fucking David Blaine or something. Like, it does something to your brain. The The way that they film that movie is separate from this. Like, it, it doesn't have to be unexpected because they came up with this damn brilliant technique to just, like, every time they switch to this hard cam, your brain is like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. What's going to happen now? And it is, it's yeah. a magic trick. And that's what a lot of successful found footage horror movies from the last decade are. They have, you have to find something that, that keys into your lizard sure. brain. <laughs> Ab- uh, yeah, absolutely. No, there, there, there has to be, uh, like, I think more than anything else. And it's, it's interesting, I think, because really in the late 90s, uh, 1998 had Hideo Nakata's Ringu. Um, and then 99 had the Blair Witch Project. And really, I think those were the two films. And Ringo, of course, was remade in 2001, which is probably what really kicked off the American scheme of things. But really, Ringo and Blair Witch are pretty much like the linchpin reference points for 20 years of horror now. Everything seems to come back to one or the other. And it's interesting that both of them are very much concerned with keying in the medium into the method of of the, the the horror presentation you know that ring was about vhs tapes and screens and about the literal 
horror of the film being a, almost a viral transmission and Kyoshi Kurosawa's Pulse something keyed in on that as well and just wasn't as successful as Ringu because it's a little a little more out there and definitely a little harder for regular people to go and watch and also they remade it in America and it's one of the worst movies ever which which didn't help <laughs> um, but you know I think both of those films um had that you know this incredible turn where where the very function of how they were presenting the film played into it so well and I, you know paranormal activity has that as well you know there there's a reason they're videoing it there is a reason they never go outside you know there's a reason it's all in the home and and the domestic sphere you know and it kind of it really kind of sets that tone and and that's the problem the hard part of making one of these movies that works is finding that puzzle box where all those pieces align because otherwise it just exists and it's just shitty camera work and you wish it was shot better and you wish it you know did some more stuff you know because found footage can't do certain things because it's supposed to be you know regular video cameras and you just kind of wish like man just just make it like nightmare on elm street and just do what you want you know make it a regular horror movie and so much found footage is like in between those two things of you know trying to be like you know, oh, we found these tapes and no one knows if it's real or not. And then also just zany shit happening. And it's clearly CG or whatever. And, you know, grave encounters, which is actually kind of one of the more fun found footage films because it's just so deeply stupid. Um, But yeah, it, it's just one of those things. And, and uh, whatever this Willow Creek, the name slipped my mind, which is not a great sign. Just kind of it can't <laughs> it can't find that it just doesn't find it and it really hurts the film and it's unfortunate in a sense because then really when you you're left sitting there it's it's like some of the paranormal activity sequels i feel like you're just sitting there keenly aware of what you're watching and wishing you could watch something else it's just uh just doesn't quite work agreed all right boys well i think it's about time we wrap this thing up so uh you know what jake what are you putting over this week Oh boy, uh, I mentioned it in the chat. I'm going to throw, a, if you want to stay on theme, uh, check out a little movie called Troll Hunter. Uh, not, it's a Scandinavian of some sort, but uh, it's a found footage movie from about a decade or so ago. But it's about uh, this group of uh, friends uh, trying to find actual trolls with the help of an eccentric troll hunting guide. And uh, it's actually quite a lot of fun. It uses the found footage format well and uh, the trolls are some pretty uh, memorable creations uh i quite liked it back when i saw it and uh not sure if it holds up but uh hey i thought it was pretty fun and uh, if you're looking for some diverting sasquatch-esque entertainment you can't go wrong with that so check out troll hunter sounds like a winner jack yeah. what are you putting over uh i was just gonna put over the dreaming you know from kate bush because it's like you know not contemporary music is my jam i don't know what the kids listen to uh, but I recently <laughs> rediscovered that it was really good. But you know what? Let's let's keep on a theme. I am going to put over a another found footage film, one of the last ones I remember surprising myself with how much I enjoyed it, which is a movie called Sorgoy Prakov, My European Dream. It also goes by the name Descent into Madness, My European Nightmare, which is very confusing. Uh, the first one is more laced with irony because it, it is not a dream, but it's basically about this kind of dumb Russian dude who basically gets a grant to go to Europe to make a film about why he loves Europe. And he basically just kind of walks around and he's a bit of an idiot and he ends up kind of partying with some people. 
and events spiral out of control and eventually he decides as he becomes increasingly dispirited and pissed off and just kind of feral, he, he basically starts making a movie about how much he hates Europe and everything Europe represents. Actually kind of a really, like even if it's a little creakier in there, but a really interesting film. So yeah, Sorgoy Prokhov, my, my European dream is, uh, it's... I think it was on Shudder last I checked, but it's it's around, so so check that one out. It's it's interesting. Probably should have done an episode on that one instead. Oh, look at that! Too late. Sight. Twenty twenty. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> Myros, what are you putting over? You know, I'm going to stay on theme too because I was uh, I was anticipating this conversation and I was racking my brain to think of a more modern found footage movie that actually works that doesn't have that sort of secret sauce it's not a movie that invented some new uh technique of exhibition that that really keyed in on anything it's just it just sort of works within an existing formula and that movie is 2010's the last exorcism uh it does have the standard found footage uh problem where uh, i it's been a while but uh you know it doesn't know how to end it, it's got a bungled ending, as I recall, but, um, yeah, it's a slick fucking movie. There's just something about it. Uh, it's one of these kind of modern horror trends where it's, it's kind of built around a, a huckster. Uh, and that really works for found footage because I don't know, you, you see this guy's sort of cynicism eroded by something he, he just was not expecting to encounter. And, uh, is it the best movie I've ever seen? No, it's not. But uh, as far as a found footage movie that that's not that inventive, but just fucking hits all the right beats, I think The Last Exorcism is, is an interesting one to check out. All right. Well, I'm going to put over two movies that I, uh, I mentioned earlier, and I can do two because uh, I can do anything that I want because I'm going last. But if you want to see a couple of really good movies by the two directors we covered today, uh, check out Lovely Molly from Eduardo Sanchez and World Great World's Greatest Dad from Bobcat Goldthwait, and you won't be disappointed. World's Greatest Dad especially. That's just like an all-timer. You can't go wrong with that one. So... Other than that, if you enjoyed the show today, do us a big favor. You can like rate and review us on iTunes. Helps us with the algorithm and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, do that for us. It'll help us out. We also have a Patreon. And if you donate any amount of money, I will send you a movie in the mail. It's very exciting for you. Is it a DVD? Is it a Blu-ray? Is it a box set? Is it a laser disc? You don't fucking know. You've got no clue. You don't know what's going to come to your house, but I'm going to send it there. So... Uh, throw us any amount of money, you get that. Uh, also, at higher tiers, you can get a shot on the show. You could be, you know, the next, uh, say, say Ryan. Ryan, he donates at the at the shout-out level, so he gets the shout-out. Right. That's right. Look at Thanks, that. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, pal. Or, you know, you could, you could even go higher, and you could be the next Paula. And uh, you could be at that tier where you actually get to dictate content that we put out there. Uh, speaking of which, we got to talk to Paula about uh, what sh what she's picking because at that highest level, once a year, you get to choose an episode for us. So uh, last year she decreed that we bring back putovers, so we did. 
this year, I don't know what it's going to be, but we got to figure that one out. So Since the last time was was Crocodile Dundee, I think only way is up, Paula. You, you that, can't... That's, that's true. The, the, last, <laughs> the last request that we took was Crocodile Dundee, and that one just about broke me. So. God, was that even from a patron? Uh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. Dustin, it was from it? a patron. Yeah, Dustin. Sorry if I just outed him. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he pays money. He's, he's at the uh, you can out him tier, so don't worry about it. Cool. But he is not at the Thanks fulfill again, request tier. So uh, if you no, have no, any no. other he, wise he's ideas, not. we just get we did lost. it as a hey, thanks, bud. Just just <laughs> you know, doing a solid. Yeah. Anyways, you, you know, give us any money and we'll work out how we can help you. Yeah, happy. we'll help you out. We'll do something for you. Whatever you need. Uh yeah. So if you have any questions, comments, recommendations for episodes, death threats, marriage proposals optimismvaccine at gmail.com is the place to send those or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine and we would love to hear from you maybe i don't know uh jake last word's yours hey did you hear about the bigfoot (laughs) (laughs) that was like a really that was a really good bobcat